Thank you very much for choosing to join me this afternoon for the final instalment of the discussion on feline hypertension, high blood pressure in cats. And I hope you've had an opportunity to see the previous sessions if you weren't able to attend those live. Um, in the first one, I talked about how we define hypertension in cats, what we know about the causes of hypertension, how common it is and how it affects our cats. Um, and then last week, we spent a lot of time talking about how hypertension is diagnosed. So how as a clinician, we make that diagnosis and some of the challenges associated with that. So the starting point for today is we've made that diagnosis and what, we, what do we need to do next? So how are we going to manage um, our patients from now on? As with the previous presentations, if you would like a copy of uh, the slides I've used, you're welcome to send an email to vet professionals. Just as long as you mention the title of, of the webinar, I can send you that as a PDF. Um, and of course, at the end, we'll have some time for questions and feel free to um, put those in the chat box or to unmute yourself when it, when it comes to question time. So in summary for today, um, what I'll talk about is some of the medications that are licensed, that are veterinary authorised to treat cats with high blood pressure and how those work and just a little bit of information about them and what the typical standard treatment might involve. Um, I'll also tell you a little bit about some of the um, perhaps previous treatments that have, I think, been superseded, but if you had a cat diagnosed with high blood pressure, let's say 10 years ago, you might have had some experience of some of these medications and also um, one off license example of a product which um, is not veterinary authorised, but which may be helpful for some situations and therefore uh, I thought worth including. And then we'll talk about how we manage our, our typical cases and the sort of checkups that are needed. And importantly, um, considering that more than 80% of cats with hypertension are thought to have it as a result of another underlying condition, a little bit on what sort of tests might be recommended to look for that underlying condition um, and that help to complete the picture. So that's, that is the outline for today. And I guess the number one key message is that even though we know that more than 80%, uh, sorry, I'm just gonna check uh, the mute option uh, there. Um, even though we know um, that more than 80% of our patients with hypertension have it in association with another illness, it's not enough to just treat that other illness and hope that the high blood pressure gets better on its own. And a really good example of that is hypothyroidism, which is quite a common disease, affects about 10% of elderly cats. So probably many of you will have had some experience of hypothyroidism in a cat of yours over the years. And if a cat with hypothyroidism develops high blood pressure, then we do need to treat both of those conditions. Um, we can't just rely on treating the hypothyroidism to correct the high blood pressure, even though it seems to uh, often be seen uh, together in association. Um, so that's the number one key message. Oh, I'm just going to, sorry, there's someone unmuted. I'm just going mute them if I can. For some reason it's not muted. Let's just hit click mute all and see if that works. Okay. Right, hopefully that has worked. Okay, sorry for that. 
Um, so a key message is really for treatment, if our patient has high blood pressure, they definitely need medication for that high blood pressure. We can't just hope that the high blood pressure will sort itself out with whatever underlying disease uh, management that happens. Um, in the long term, actually some cats with treatable underlying diseases like hypothyroidism, very occasionally the hypertension will resolve following management of that hypothyroidism. But it is actually the rarity in my experience. Most often, even if you can completely cure that hypothyroidism, uh, most of the cats that have high blood pressure at the time of that diagnosis need uh, blood pressure management for the rest of their lives. Um, so it's obviously something that needs to be monitored, um, but important, as I say, to just highlight as a key point that for the most part, our patients will need lifelong management for this condition. And in the UK, um, and also available around most of the world, there are two veterinary authorised medications available for management of high blood pressure in cats. And one of these is, uh, the active ingredient is called amlodipine. Um, this is the product on the left hand side. This is, um, it was originally a human medication, uh, so I say human medication, a medication for people. Um, so you may have some experience of it. Um, one of the very popular names of amlodipine in people is istin, I-S-T-I-N, and certainly my mother who had high blood pressure was on istin for many years, so very, very commonly used to manage high blood pressure in people. And so for a long time, we didn't have a veterinary authorised medication for high blood pressure in cats, and we used to get the human tablets, the istin tablets, that unfortunately then had to be cut into eighths, which is extremely difficult to cut any tablet into eighths, as uh, any of you that have tried that will know, you would tend to, to have maybe three useful portions of varying size um, and a, a little pile of dust to show for your efforts but thankfully several years ago a veterinary form was brought out by a company called Siva and that is Amodip which is the tablet on the left and this is uh, typically half a tablet or one tablet a day and it has been designed to be a palatable treatment so it's a I think it's a chicken flavor certainly seems to be very well accepted and that's why it's been given this easy to give a Award by a UK charity called International Cat Care. So that is the sort of seal of approval, if you like, that from the palatability information available, um, iCat Care were happy to say, yes, this appears to be, you know, an easy to give medication. We're happy to, to give it that award. And it works in the body by dilating arteries and that reduces the blood pressure. And certainly for cats, it's often very, very effective on its own um, and it is the most potent of the blood pressure lowering medications. So if your cat has a really very, very high blood pressure, almost certainly it will be uh, prescribed Amodip as part of the treatment, if not all of the treatment, because it is the most uh, potently effective blood pressure medication. More recently, we've had another uh, medication. It's also veterinary authorised in the UK, which is Symintra. And this, uh, the active ingredient is uh, something called Telmisartan. And this is a, a drug that is, its mechanism of action is that it's an angiotensin receptor blocker or what is abbreviated to an ARB. And angiotensin is one of the hormones that's activated and uh, 
contributes to the high blood pressure um, through um, what's called the renin angiotensin aldosterone system abbreviated to RAAS as on the slide so telmisartan suppresses that hormonal system uh, which is one of the causes of high blood pressure and again is very commonly used in human medicine although I'm I'm afraid I forget the uh, the trade names for telmisartan in people but it's often used in people with high blood pressure as well. And it too is very effective. Um, it doesn't tend to be quite as potent as uh, amlodipine. So for very severely affected cats, it might not be enough on its own. But actually, we often use these drugs together as well. And they can, they can be safely used in combination. And that has been done for many years now. So if we have a a cat that isn't responding to a very standard treatment, we have the option of combining these two treatments because they work in a different way. And you may be familiar also with Symmetra, this Telmisartan product uh, made by a company called Bowringer in a different coloured box if you've had a cat with kidney disease because it was originally licensed in a lower strength um, formulation for management of chronic kidney disease in cats. Um, it was known at that time that it would have some impact on blood pressure, but they needed to do more studies to prove that and get the veterinary license for blood pressure management. And it turns out that you need a higher dose for blood pressure management. So they have two different forms of Symmetra, the sort of kidney uh, Symmetra products, uh, which is a, a blue box and the hypertension Symmetra, which is in this red branded box. So you may have, uh, have used uh, one or other of these products in, in your cats uh, in the past. So in summary, both these products are licensed. They're both very effective and actually they're both easy to give. They've both got that same award. Um, Symmetra is in a liquid formulation, which some people find easier to give to their cats. Um, and it's certainly not, um, from what I can see, disgusting in taste in that it seems to be quite well accepted. Um, it's perhaps not as super duper palatable as some liquid medications that I've seen, um, but generally it's very well accepted. And so again, it's got this easy to give award from international cat care. So we're lucky that with hypertension, we've got two licensed products that both appear to be easy to give, both are effective, work in different ways, can be used together. That, that would be the summary. Amlodipine also is available in a non-veterinary authorised formulation um, in some countries, including the UK. So um, the formulation that I'm referring to here is what's called a transdermal formulation. And the transdermal medications are ones that are in a, effectively an ointment or a cream that is designed to be applied to, to the skin and is absorbed through the skin into the body. And the typical bit of skin that is used for uh, a transdermal medication in cats is the inner surface of the ear flap, what, what we call the pinna, because that's got relatively little hair on it and it seems to absorb medications quite well. There aren't any veterinary authorised medications that use this route in this application. Um, I think partly because, of course, applying a medicine to the outside of a cat does pose some health and safety concerns um, with some medications more than others that you would not want to, as a carer, come 
come into contact with. So there have been some stumbling blocks in actually getting veterinary authorization for these, but some uh, what are called specials laboratories. These are uh, uh, labs that are allowed under government regulation to produce what are called off-license medications for use in certain circumstances um, have produced this uh, transdermal amelodipine as one of their options. And a little bit of studying has been done on it. So there is a small study that was done, um, I think it's probably about 13 years ago now, so quite a while ago. And what that showed was that the transdermal amelodipine does work, but it's nowhere near as effective as giving a pill. So it's definitely not the first choice um, for the cat, but also legally as a vet, we're not allowed to use it as a first choice. But if you had a cat that you absolutely could not get a tablet or a liquid medication into in any way whatsoever, but you could get this ointment on the inner surface of their ear flap, then uh, in my view, this is a legitimate use of this sort of product. Um, so it's definitely not the first choice. It's more of a last resort, but it is available for those very you know, difficult uh, circumstances that sometimes pop up. And in reality, you, you tend to need a higher dose than you would do orally. So it's something that you need to obviously titrate to the cat um, and, uh, uh, and do very carefully and obviously under veterinary advice and veterinary prescription. If you've had a cat with high blood pressure, several years ago, um, then it, one of the treatments that um, may have been used is benazapril, which is an example of a different category of drugs called ACE inhibitors, another acronym here. The ACE isn't for fantastic, it's for angiotensin converting enzyme. So it's an enzyme inhibitor, uh, this product, and it also suppresses this RAS, the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, this hormonal system that contributes to uh, increasing blood pressure. And uh, again, in people, ACE inhibitors are often used uh, to manage blood pressure problems uh, as well as kidney problems. And so um, Benazapril was uh, launched probably about 20 years ago now um, as Fortacor, um, very sort of, uh, uh, popularly used medication for cats with kidney disease. So you may well have had a cat receive this. And one of the effects of Benazapril is to lower the blood pressure a bit. Um, but it tends to be a much weaker uh, medication for lowering blood pressure than either of the licensed ones that are available. So again, today, I wouldn't be using it for that reason. However, um, it historically has had some help uh, or has had some helpful impact. And we can also use it in combination with amlodipine. So if we have a cat that's not fully responding to amlodipine, one option would be to add benazapril. But that is an off-license use of this medication. It's not actually veterinary authorized for hypertension. It's veterinary authorized for the uh, proteinuric kidney disease. So obviously a next key thing is if you're given a pill to give to your cat um, is that if that's something you've not had to do before that can seem a little bit daunting um, and some cats with um, Amadip because it is a flavoured and, and designed to be palatable preparation um, will actually take it voluntarily so you can offer that and to some cats and they will just eat it off your hand or of an empty food bowl and if that's the case obviously wonderful but if your cat's not going to eat it voluntarily um, then usually the, the easiest way to guarantee that medication has got to the cat, which is obviously where it needs to be, is going to be to dose with a pill. And it is a nice small pill. And um, again, it may seem a little bit daunting to, to be told that your cat needs a pill, um, but actually most cats 
are actually fine for this and once you both get the hang of what's involved um, it hopefully is not a stressful or difficult thing so the, the short video um, that uh, just played I'll just click on that again this is actually um, sadly my cat who is no longer with me but my very uh, lovely Hobie who was extremely easy to give a pill to um, very kindly offering his services for a video and just demonstrating here that firstly it's not stressful but also one key thing in terms of tips is to tip the head back so you'll notice I sort of tipped his his um, nose towards the ceiling because if you do that in yourself as well you can find you find it very hard to keep your mouth closed if your if your jaw is pointing upwards so allows you that easier opportunity to open the mouth and sneak a pill in but then let the head come down to a normal position after the pill's been given because if you again if you try this if you look up at the ceiling and try and swallow it's actually very difficult you do need your head to be relaxed to do that bit of, of uh, the process and that video is uh, on the video tutorial page of the website so again some just some little summaries here if your cat's a little bit wriggly um, then um, sitting it between your legs or wrapping it in a towel can be helpful um, but always I would say if you have difficulties or concerns you know pick up the phone and speak to your vet clinic because they will want to know if you've had problems and they will want to be able to support you um, pill givers like the one at the bottom can be helpful for some cats um, just in terms of introducing the pill particularly if you are worried about your cat actually biting you um, but usually it, it's actually with a, uh, I think it's easier just with your fingers to give the pill liquid medications obviously a little bit different so this is now thinking of Sumintra for hypertension um, and uh, again as a general principle really you want the liquid to be in your cat so administering it directly is definitely the first choice as opposed to putting it in your cat's food for example because what you want to know is that your cat has received the full dose of treatment by mouth as intended um, and often cats again will tolerate this quite well so you can just sort of winkle the tip of the syringe um, between the lips between the teeth and just dri dribble in the medication um, as I've said Sumitra doesn't seem to be from what I can see unpleasant tasting it seems quite well tolerated and because they've made this higher strength version for hypertension it's not it's not a silly amount that you're having to give to the cat either so that does seem to uh, be very well tolerated if you do decide that that is too difficult you do find that's too difficult um, then dosing on food may be an option for some medications we know for example that the Sumintra actually can be given with food or without food so it's always important to check that with your vets before um, assuming that all medications are okay to go with food but the key thing is obviously that you want to ensure your cat gets the full dose so if you do have to resort to um, giving uh, medication with food you want to give it with the smallest amount of most delicious food possible so that you hopefully can actually observe your cat eating the full dose of medication so for example a little bit of tuna or a little bit of cream cheese whatever your cat loves if those things are also allowed uh, with its medical condition and just a little dribble of its medication and have that first before uh, the rest of breakfast is offered but again speak to your vets about your particular cats and their situations to make sure you get the best advice uh, for their situation 
this is a, another lovely video which is on the website and as you can see it's been branded and beautified greatly by Decra, um, a uh, veterinary pharmaceutical company. Um, but all the videos in this, um, which uh, may be playing a little bit jerkily via Zoom, but you can see in their full glory on the website. Um, these were videos sent to us as part of a competition um, asking uh, pet owners to send us um, videos of them giving medication to their cats um, and uh, so we could use this to provide tips for other carers. And one great thing to see uh, from my perspective was as you can all see it's mainly one person doing the whole job. So demonstrating you don't need a sort of army of, of helpers to give medications to many cats. You can actually do it on your own because these people it tends to be one person filming and one person giving and this example actually includes someone using firstly a pill shooter I think that's a joint supplement that the cat was on but also a liquid medication being given as well for this cat so a little bit of a demonstration there but um, a really nice um, montage of, of uh, different cats and different tips um, having little rewards afterwards for example here as well that hopefully you'll find helpful. Other tips for medication in general, well if your cat's receiving multiple medications and you're potentially having to give several pills, that of course can make things even more stressful for you and for your cat. So something to consider and to discuss with your vets, if that is the case, might be whether you can combine medications into a capsule and you can buy empty gelatin capsules from pharmacies. Again, these are designed for use in people, they're not designed for the vet world, but we use them um, and you can open up these capsules and put in medications so uh, if the cat's on a quarter of a pill of this and a half a pill of that you can put it in the same capsule you can even trim the capsule a little bit to make them shorter you can get some very small capsules suitable for cats as well and then that's one dose rather than multiple doses um, but it is important to check that the medications are okay to combine in that way so again speaking to your vet involving your vet in that sort of decision making is is definitely important there also are a huge number of treats um, in various formulations now, pastes and pâtés and putties and um, all sorts of things that are designed um, to be a treat in isolation, but also quite good for hiding uh, medications. So um, there are a, a few examples I've listed on here, but many more that you will have come across. And that can also help with hiding medication where giving by mouth is, is a bit more challenging. And if medication is uh, stressful for you and your cat, um, but ultimately that is the only and the best way to do it, if you like, bear in mind that if you can separate stressful events from, from uh, eating, that is probably a good thing in terms of not putting the cat off their food. Sometimes some cats, if they associate always getting a pill with a meal time, it will start to actually put them off eating. And similarly, if, if there is more than one of you in the household and perhaps one person could be the, the nasty person that gives the medication and the other person is the nice person who always gives the food and does the grooming, then again, the cat's less likely to associate medication with putting it off things like eating, which of course we don't want to happen. 
Pills and capsules um, should not be given dry. Um, so same as ourselves, really. If you take a pill and you don't have a glass of water, you can often feel it stuck in your throat, which is often a little bit unpleasant and uh, a little bit uncomfortable. But if for some medications in our cats, also that is very damaging because the medication sometimes the base is quite acidic and it can actually burn the esophagus, the food pipe, um, and cause um, irritation and inflammation which in, in serious cases can actually uh, cause a stricture, a, a narrowing of that food pipe which is typically treatable but of course we don't want to have that situation at all if we possibly can. So rather than giving a pill or a capsule to a cat um, and then just sort of walking away, um, if we know that medication is fine for the cat to have food with, which most medications are, then offering them some food or a treat afterwards um, is useful in spite of what I've just said about trying not to associate mealtimes with pills, a little, bit of, a little bit of food or a little treat is a lovely way to take that medication down. Also, it actually has been scientifically proven uh, with some really nice studies that even just putting a blob of butter on your cat's nose for it to lick off, which is what's shown in that left-hand picture, will also take a capsule all the way down to the stomach. Um, and in that particular study, um, a dry capsule or a dry tablet would often sit in that food pipe for longer than 10 minutes that was the time point at which they, they stopped measuring so you dread to think how much longer it would have just sat there but just putting a blob of butter on the cat's nose it's through in the stomach in less than 30 seconds so that is very effective or you can syringe a little bit of water if the cat's not allowed to have food immediately and there are a few medications where they're not allowed with food then syringing a little bit of water um, is also very helpful so having started treatment, what is a typical picture in terms of monitoring? Well, the medications that I've mentioned take a few days to kick in. So usually, um, firstly, um, it's fine usually for patients to go home. So we don't normally need to hospitalise a cat with high blood pressure to treat them. There are sometimes exceptions to that. If the damage caused by the high blood pressure is affecting the brain, the nervous system, um, then and the cat is very ill, then it, it may need to be hospitalised. Um, but 99% of cats with high blood pressure can come home for treatment um, and then return to the clinic to make sure that the blood pressure has come down. So usually a week later, um, have a blood pressure reassessment, um, re-look at, at the eyes for, for damage as we talked about last week as well. And often actually um, you can see brilliant results in that first week and um, you're on track for a, for a great um, sort of future stable journey in terms of the hypertension. Sometimes we do find we need to tweak the doses a little bit so perhaps a, a higher dose might be needed um, and we may not have, have got the blood pressure as low as we would like. I've put the guidelines on here that we follow as vets so we want the systolic blood pressure, the higher blood pressure reading to be under 160 um, absolutely as a minimum goal because that hopefully removes the possibility of, of damaging uh, damage those target organs like the eyes and the brain that we talked about in earlier presentations but ideally we want it less than 140 that's currently considered to be the guideline so we, we tweak with things really in those uh, early weeks um, and then in the long term, uh, once our patient's stable, usually checkups, uh, the frequency can be reduced to every three to six months, depending on the patient. And most cats do very well. 
The other component of treatment, of course, is um, if it's not already known um, that the cat has another disease which may have caused that high blood pressure, uh, then we're often keen as clinicians, if we diagnose hypertension, to understand, well, is there an underlying or associated illness which has caused the high blood pressure and which also would benefit from management? Um, and the most common contenders, if you like, for, for that would be kidney disease and thyroid disease in terms of, of frequency of diagnosis in the clinics. So um, again, as we said a little bit earlier, less than 20% of our cats with hypertension have what we call idiopathic hypertension where we don't know what the cause of the hypertension is the majority the hypertension is there we think as a result of another illness and so finding and treating that other illness is obviously a priority for us where at all possible and in terms of those uh, potential causes, as I've just mentioned, kidney disease and thyroid disease would be top of the list. Um, about a third to a half of older cats develop kidney disease. And it's estimated that between 20 and 65% of cats with kidney disease develop high blood pressure. So in essence, really, uh, most cats with kid kidney disease probably do develop high blood pressure. So therefore, um, that's definitely something that we want to look out for. With thyroid disease, it's a slightly murkier picture in terms of the the relationship between these uh, conditions but certainly we do know that about 20% of the time when we diagnose a cat with hypothyroidism they also have high blood pressure um, but also some cats following stabilization of their hypothyroidism develop high blood pressure as well so um, we, these are patients we also need to keep an eye on in the long term as well as the short term. And some other conditions and situations here as well so primary hyperaldosteronism typically is a tube a cancer of the adrenal glands overproducing this hormone aldosterone and one of the effects of that can be to increase blood pressure and uh, erythrocyte stimulating agents are um, products we use to stimulate um, the bone marrow to produce more red blood cells um, particularly in cats with kidney disease and they too one of the side effects can be high blood pressure so these are some of the things that uh, that we think about as clinicians of course the last one if a cat's receiving that treatment we know about it we don't need to do further investigations but with some of these other ones um, having diagnosed the high blood pressure may then prompt us to think well is there an underlying disease and the sort of likely tests that are going to be helpful are going to start with blood and urine tests to look for those common problems like kidney problems and thyroid problems which again any of you that have cared for older cats will probably have had some experience of at uh, some point or other in your cats because these are these are common scenarios there are other tests that can be helpful uh, in our cats with high blood pressure in some situations. So imaging, by which I mean x-rays and ultrasound, sometimes specialist imaging like MRI scans can be helpful. Um, thinking of those cats with adrenal tumours, the primary hyperaldosteronism uh, cases, for example, um, and some ad uh, advanced blood tests also can be helpful for those cases. The sort of blood tests that we need to send to special labs to measure, for example, aldosterone levels. So there is a range of possibilities but uh, the starting point would be looking for those common things like kidney disease and thyroid disease typically. 
So finally, what is the prognosis for cats with high blood pressure? What, what can we expect in the long term for their health? Well, often it is very good in terms of the blood pressure because they typically do respond really well to the blood pressure medications I've mentioned. Those often are really effective. And I think um, even for cats that actually are completely blind um, and remain completely blind, um, they on treatment for their blood pressure, you, you can see often these cats Cats just feel much lighter, much happier. There, there seems like a weight is lifted off them because I think it, it can be really quite an unpleasant uh, condition to live with for some of these very severely affected cats. Um, but of course, for those cats that don't have ocular complications, uh, we're now protecting their eyes from going blind, which is great news. And if we can find an underlying disease, then often we can manage that. And that also is going to benefit our patient, although some of the underlying diseases, of course, carry a worse long term outlook than others. So kidney disease, we spoke a lot about last month in the sessions and often actually cats with kidney disease do do very well, but ultimately is considered to be a progressive condition and we can't cure it at the moment. So uh, that's not going to be as good a prognosis as potentially hypothyroidism where we may be able to cure that condition by either removing um, the abnormal thyroids or treating with radioiodine, both of which can be very successful. So depending on the underlying diagnosis, the, the outcome obviously can vary, but often is, I think, very good. And specifically for eyesight as well, um, don't assume that if your cat is blind as a result of high, high blood pressure damage, that that will remain the case permanently. In fact, many cats, their eyesight will improve with management. And hopefully you can see actually in these photos, you can actually see that in, um, in particular looking at the pupil, which is the black part of the eye. And uh, both Audrey and Neo, before treatment, you can see their pupils are circular, very dilated, very enlarged pupils. And these cats were completely blind at the time those photographs were taken. And often these very large pupils, eyes like saucers, is, uh, is a clue to us as vets that we're looking at a blind cat. But what you can see in the pictures post-treatment is that for, for both of the cats, that actually that situation improved markedly and their vision did improve. Now, of course, we can't get cats to, to read an eye test chart and uh, determine their vision on that basis, but we can understand their vision in the basis of bumping into things or if we leave a door shut in a house, does can the cat know that the door is shut as opposed to walking into it? Um, and a little bit of data you can see on this slide from a, a fairly recent paper that looked specifically at this issue showed uh, about 60% of, of eyes that were blind regained some vision after treatment. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's not perfect, but there is definitely hope, which is nice. And also that almost all of the eyes that were visual, their eyesight was protected with treatment. So if we can diagnose hypertension before the damage is too severe um, and vision is lost, then that's even better. So in conclusion, um, hypertension, definitely a common and important illness that I think it's, it's worth every carer being aware of. Um, sudden onset blindness, your cat suddenly going blind is definitely something that I would put into a category of emergencies. So speak to your vets as soon as you can if you are urgently concerned about your cat's eyesight. It is particularly common as a problem in older cats, but as you've hopefully seen through this series, it is something that we can diagnose 
um, almost all clinics now do have some ability to measure blood pressure so making a diagnosis is definitely possible um, looking at the eyes gives us important clues as well as to the, the cause of the problem and as as you've hopefully heard today it is usually very treatable and the outcome with treatment is usually very good as well so it's not as bad news a story as perhaps you might have, have been worried about so um, in conclusion, I will just wrap up by reminding you of the website and resources on there. So the video tutorial page has a, a number of things that I've, I've mentioned through today in terms of those videos of, of cats getting pills, uh, for example. Um, the free downloads also has lots of uh, technical information, some uh, aimed at the carer, some aimed at the veterinarian. Um, but please do have a look at that. Um, and the screenshots on the right hand side are of two scientific papers which are freely accessible. If you have an interest in this subject, you can just Google ISFM consensus guidelines or ACVIM consensus guidelines and uh, be able to read these and read, you know, the sort of the veterinarian's viewpoint on these, which uh, may complement uh, hopefully what I've said during these sessions as well. So thank you very much for, for choosing to join me today.